0: and to tell inspirational cattails. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be joining you here today. Later on in this episode, I will be answering a reader question for the first time in a while, actually, Re- remember when I used to get questions from readers, and then I would answer them on the podcast, and and it would be like a whole thing. Uh, well, we have not done that for a little while, uh, but we are going to do that again today. And if you have any questions, the or or comments that you would like me to address or answer or or otherwise bring up on a future episode of Curl Up with a Cattail, or if you want to subscribe to the podcast or send me a a message or simply leave a comment on the most recent episode, and I do read and respond to all the comments, although I am slightly behind on the last few. It's it's been a chaotic. Uh, Couple of months actually. But anyway, um, head on over to GwenCooper.com, G-W-E-N-C-O-O-P-E-R dot com. You can also find out information about my books, etc. And you can get a free ebook copy of a new book about Homer the Blind Wonder Cat. Now, I will say it is composed of of stories from previous works. So you may have each of these individual stories. If you subscribe to the Curl Up with a Cattail series, for example, you may have some of these stories already, or if you have already read the sequel to Homer's Odyssey or My Life in a Cat House. But if, if any of these are new to you, head on over to GwenCooper.com and download that free book ASAP. Before we get into answering reader questions though and all that kind of good stuff, a, a little bit of housekeeping. um first just the ongoing saga of the the Cats and Dogs of Afghanistan. and and again, I, I just want to preface this all by saying how incredibly moved and inspired I have been over the last few weeks to see how how all of you, how this community has really rallied to the assistance of these people and these animals in Afghanistan working under unimaginable chaos and and violence and fear and doing such incredible work. And I wanted to give an update on what is going on with that and also clarify a a couple of misconceptions and, and things that are going around. So First, just to – because I, I, I've i seen a lot of things that it's, it's sort of upsetting for me. Um, somewhere along the line, Charlotte Maxwell-Jones, who is the woman who runs Kabul Small Animal Rescue, uh, her integrity and the integrity of the organization have been called into question. And I, I honestly don't know how much more anybody can expect from a person than to stay behind in Afghanistan under Taliban rule – Rather than leave the cats and dogs behind that she has committed to rescuing, I, I I have to tell you I would like to think that I would have that sort of courage within me to, if not do the same thing, do something equally courageous under similar circumstances. i I can promise you as sure as I'm sitting here that I would not i I do not have that kind of a physical courage. And I don't know that many people do. And so it is upsetting for me that there are people who, because for security reasons, she is keeping a kind of a tight lid on what their activities are right now as she works behind the scenes to to get to move people and animals out of this incredibly dangerous area that they are are just how quickly there has been sort of a turn against her on social media is upsetting. Um, it is not naivete, by the way, or or anything like that, that that leads me to believe that she is the real deal. She has been written about in numerous publications for the past several years. I've been reading about her efforts on with with rescue dogs in Afghanistan, in the New York Times for the past several years. And I, I don't want to get into the politics of of which newspapers or, or media sources, we believe. But these stories have been reported about in a number of other media sources, including Fox News. Um, And I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that five years ago, the New York Times decided to make up wholesale a rescue organization in Afghanistan that serves dogs and and that this charade has been somehow perpetuated into the present day. Anyway, the point being... That I'm convinced of, of the, the genuine existence of this organization and the efforts they're making. And I certainly hope all of you are as well. And I, I try to be very careful about the causes and the organizations that I encourage you all to become involved with. I mean, there's no 100% guarantee, but I do a great deal of due diligence because I take very seriously the trust that so many of you have seen fit to repose, to, to, to place in me. Um, Even though I, I admittedly do not have the kind of courage that it takes to be one of these people who wades into a war zone to rescue cats and dogs. But anyway, coming back to the original point that I wanted to make. So one of the the other misconceptions I wanted to clarify, and I think this is part of the reason why people have started to question Charlotte Maxwell Jones, is because there a great deal has been made of the dogs who have been left behind that are working dogs or military dogs – and because the Pentagon keeps insisting that they did not abandon any military dogs in Afghanistan, whereas Charlotte has made you know repeated reference to the working dogs that that were abandoned there and that she's trying to get out, I think that some people see this as a contradiction. And if you so, then if you believe what the Pentagon is saying, then you cannot believe what Charlotte Maxwell Jones is saying, which makes her a liar. And so I wanted to, to clear up that misconception. Two, you know, there's a difference between a military dog and a contracted working dog, right? Military dogs work for the military. Contracted working dogs may work for the military, but they also work for private organizations that have security needs or needs for, for bomb sniffing dogs or other tasks that dogs, because of their heightened sense of smell, are well suited to undertake. Um, you know, we, we've heard in this country about dogs who can sniff out cancer and various illnesses. So those are, are working dogs who are not necessarily military dogs. So it can actually be true simultaneously that the, the Pentagon did not abandon any military dogs while at the same time hundreds of working dogs who worked for non-military contractors, were abandoned in Afghanistan. And that is, in fact, the case. I I cannot speak to the military dogs that the Pentagon is insisting were rescued, but I can say that even if that is all true, um, that the working dogs that Charlotte Maxwell Jones is referring to are not necessarily military dogs. And so you can simultaneously believe both the Pentagon and Charlotte Maxwell Jones or you can believe both. I would encourage you not to, you know, to believe neither. Um, if there's only one person you're going to believe on this issue, I would certainly encourage you to believe Charlotte Maxwell Jones, the woman. Again, I, I cannot even begin to imagine the 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 daily stress and danger to which she is subjecting herself for the sake of remaining there with these animals. Um, and and that kind of brings us, I guess, to the the update on how they are doing, which is that. She still, according to social media posts and, and things that she's writing, is, is working very hard to form an evacuation plan for these animals. Um, she, as Some of you may have heard that the dogs were, were forcibly released into the airport. Um, she and her, Charlotte and her staff are going to that airport every day to recapture these dogs. Um, some, unfortunately, have not made it. Um, did did not make it and, and are no longer with us. But the majority of the dogs so far, she has been able to successfully recapture. And the cats have always been in the custody of the organization. They never actually made it into the airport. So she is understandably reluctant to divulge specifics about what the plan is to get animals and people out of Afghanistan. Doing so could jeopardize the mission, And endanger people's lives, but uh, this this is what she is working on doing now, and obviously our thoughts and prayers. I mean, I I, so thoughts and prayers, our our hopes, our our desperate hopes are are with her and hoping for the ultimate success of her mission. And again, I encourage you, Kabul Small Animal Rescue has a website. Um, If you would like to make a donation to their effort, a financial donation, money is always useful. The money can still be needed both to take care of the animals in Afghanistan and also to help evacuate them, hopefully safely out of Afghanistan. And I encourage you to visit Kabul Small Animal Rescue's website. You can find it with a simple Google search. And make a donation if you feel that's appropriate, but but certainly if nothing else, kind of keep up with what is going on with them. Um, the other rescue group, as you may resem- remember, as you may resemble, I resemble that comment. Um, the other rescue group, as you may remember, uh, was Nowzad, and Nowzad is is the group that I originally um, be- became involved with and and first learned about what was going on in Afghanistan through Nowzad. Um, and thanks to, to reader TJ Murphy, by the way, who alerted me to their plight and to, to the desperate condition of animals trying to evacuate Afghanistan during our evacuation. Anyway, um, so Nowzad was run by Penn Farthing. As you may recall, or is run by Penn Farthing, um, a a former British Royal Marine who had set up an animal rescue organization in Afghanistan. Um, Obviously, during the evacuation, he became very concerned both for his animals and for his staff. And this is because, again, we we know that certain people do not fare well under Taliban rule. And that includes, for example, women. Uh, Many of his staffers were women, were some of the first female veterinarians in Afghanistan. When women, you know, while American was there, women were able to go to school and to university and to earn advanced degrees. And and so some of those women who could not be hired anyplace else, he hired them and gave them jobs. And they were some of the first working women veterinarians in Afghanistan, also staff members. And of course, the, you know, the, these people being women with jobs or staffers who have worked with a member of the British military, to rescue dogs and cats whom the Taliban, particularly dogs, considered to be unclean animals, um, were in as much potential danger as the animals themselves if they were not evacuated in time. And so our mission, those of us watching from the sidelines and wanting desperately to help, our mission was twofold. One was to get Penn and, and the animals Safely out of Afghanistan. The other was to get the staffers and their families also safely out of Afghanistan. And if you've been following this, then you know that initially, um, Penn Farthing had to leave his staff behind. He was forced to do so at the airport. It was really one of those situations where he could leave at the time that he left with his animals or not leave with the animals at all. Um, he had kept insisting that he would would not leave without his staff, but when it finally came down to it, it, it they, they all would have died there. So the staff remained behind and Penfarthing assured us that he would not give up on his efforts working from the UK to bring those people to safety. And I am incredibly pleased to report that that has happened. Um, they have made it safely out of Afghanistan. I want to say they were in Pakistan. I read the news reports yesterday, but it's occurring to me as I'm delivering this report to you now that I don't remember if it was Pakistan or Islamabad, where they ultimately made it out of Afghanistan. But the point is they are out of Afghanistan. They are awaiting transport to the United Kingdom. They have visas for entry and I believe temporary, at least temporary residence. And so that at least that while we all wait and pray to find out what will happen with cobble small animal rescue i know that so many of you like me we all initially started donating to nowsad and to assist in their rescue effort and that was the the first email that i sent out was a call for that and i just want to say i i i am incredibly pleased and i hope that you all are as well that at least you know i, I mean i i keep saying at least this originally was, at least for me, this was the, the mission, right? It, it was it was Nauzad and it was helping all of the animals and people escape safely and, and with their lives. And I am so incredibly delighted to be able to say that that mission has been accomplished and that all the animals and all the people affiliated with Nauzad are now safely out of Afghanistan, have been safely evacuated. And that is certainly incredible news. I, I know that, that all Homer's heroes, uh, today are rejoicing to, to learn that and to know that our efforts were, were in a small, were a small contributing factor to this incredibly happy outcome. And we certainly hope that sooner rather than later, much sooner rather than later, um, Cobble Small Animal Rescue, Charlotte Maxwell Jones and her staff and, and all of the animals are able to enjoy a similar happy ending to their story. This has actually run on a little bit longer than I had intended. I had a whole a whole thing that I was going to talk about um, and and then I you know I don't want this podcast to run overly long, but I will say I would like to thank uh, on a very different note as I segue into a very different subject. I would like to thank everybody who has written to me out of concern after last week's podcast for my back, which I am happy to say is feeling much better. Um, I spent a couple of days flat on my back in bed, and that seems to have done the trick. I am back to, to my normal routine. Uh, it was incredibly stupid of me to try to lift a 63-pound box, and the only thing I can say in my own defense is that I did not realize that both the enormous bag of cat food and the enormous bag of litter were in the same box, and I have lifted just the you know boxes of litter on my own before. So... Lesson learned, and I, I should look before I, I leap or, or lift, as the case may be. Um, thank you for not scolding. A couple of you scolded me a little bit, and please rest assured that my husband scolded me as well. Just about the only the only ones who are ever happy when I end up spending a couple of days in bed are the cats, who are just incredibly excited. And, and were this was no different. The two days that I spent flat on my back in bed were, were too... Great days for them, and I am now once again having resumed my normal activities, including working out on my rowing machine, and uh, which I love. I, I the best two hundred dollar investment that I ever made, and I did this early on in in quarantine last year. Although I didn't really start using it. Uh, I mean, we all know how that goes, right? You you buy the these exercise, uh, you sign up for these classes, you sign up for the gym, you buy the new machine with these incredibly, you know, these wonderful intentions of of all the the healthy working out and 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 various you know helpful things you are going to do. And if you are like me, and I am a very bookish person, and you know, like like many bookish people, I'm I'm not exactly a natural athlete, let's say. Um, so, so my machine, the rowing machine sat here for, for many, many months. And then it was really, I I think when I got vaccinated early, you know, late in the spring, um, when it occurred to me that I was going to be going out and, and starting to see people again, and I should maybe do something about the roughly thousand extra pounds that, um, I had put on during quarantine during that glorious period of, of just being able to eat whatever I wanted and not having to worry about what I look like for anybody. So, I started using the rowing machine and I love it. By the way, I love this machine. I love this exercise. If you are like me, a person with good intentions and and who really does want to work out except like you don't want anything too high impact and you hate like hopping around and doing jumping jacks or flying kicks or, you know, whatever. Um and and the stationary bike is not your jam. It's definitely not mine. You know, if you're looking for something sort of of sensible and that will very efficiently deliver you very good results within a a short, you know, within a short period of time and that is low impact and carries a very low risk of injury, then I would encourage you to look into a rowing machine because it really does fulfill all of the above and more. Um, It just, you use your whole body and it's really simple to do and you don't have to hop around like feeling like an idiot, you know, with some like exercise video with people much more fit than you are also hopping around and looking much better doing it than you know you look. Um, it's just great. I love the rowing machine. The only downside is that my cats really hate it. And I'm not exactly sure why. But they the, the rowing machine lives in our bedroom, which is the largest room upstairs where it makes sense to have a machine like this. And um, the cats love to sleep on our bed during the day. And the thing about the rowing machine that I also like is that it's a very quiet exercise. I mean, it, the machine itself makes essentially no noise. And it, it's, I mean, you can listen to music or, or whatever you you care to while you're on it, but it's not a particularly noisy activity. And it does, it makes a lot less noise than, I, you know, an exercise bike does, for example. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it is about it that offends my cat so much, but they will be, both of them in a dead sleep on the bed. And then I will get onto the rowing machine and within seconds they each of them you know first one then the other usually it's fanny first and then eventually clayton they get up and they give me such a filthy look and then they stalk you know with this sort of cold anger out of the bedroom like thanks for ruining our nap mom and um i'm not really sure what that's all about or or why they hate it so much um and and I guess I cannot ask them either, but they they really resent the rowing machine. So they were definitely happy during the the two days I spent in, de- in bed and the five days I took off from the rowing machine just to make sure I did not exacerbate any injuries um, were pretty glorious days for the cats and everything kind of went their way. So, you know, as my grandmother used to say, may she rest in peace. It's an ill wind that blows nobody any good. And even my, my terrible, terrible back injury had a bright side for somebody. And on that note, I'm going to be taking a break, a a short break in just a moment, and then coming back to answer this week's reader question. But before doing so, I would like to continue um, giving the shout outs to my Patreon, well, the members of my Patreon community. And uh, once again, and it really is no exaggeration to say I could not do this. I could not do what I do without all of you. And by that, I mean, I, I could not write and publish books independently of traditional publishers. I could not have this podcast free of any corporate sponsorship the way that I do without Patreon. And I, I definitely could not do a, as much as I uh, as much fundraising and and support for rescue organizations as I am able to do if it were not for all of you. And and so thank you incredibly um, really, for, for your generosity and for your support. And again, if you are a Patreon supporter at the $5 monthly level or higher, and you don't hear your name today, and you didn't hear it next last week, then you'll probably hear it next week. It's it's just too long a list for me to read it um all, all the way through all at once. And so this week I am thanking, and again, if I mispronounce your name, please send me an email, Gwen at GwenCooper.com, and let me know. I definitely want to know. Um This week I'm thanking Lisa Calarisi, Marion Harding, Carol Lofton, Matthew O'Leary, Kathy Mancini, Rhiannon Nicole, Julie Burns, Katie Williams, Catherine Larkland, Suzanne Dunaway, Heather, last name withheld, Elizabeth Marangelo, Andrew Kaplan, Elaine Harcourt, Tricia Yost, Rebecca Lynn, Callie Quimby, Jeffrey Lewis, Michelle Zurich, Zurichney, Rosa Roca, Charles Brackney, Julie Garrett, Allison Walls, Patty (last name withheld), Trace England, Susan Ann Cadlick, Katherine Birch, Kathleen Winger, and Amy Norris. Um, once again, thank you so much for your support and for everything you do. Uh, to make it possible for me to do what I do. I I literally could not do it without you guys. And we are now going to take a short break of about 30 seconds or so. And when I return, I will be answering this week's reader questions. So sit back, get comfortable, and stick around for more Curl Up With A Cattail. So much for sticking around. Today's question comes from reader Hannah Gottlieb, and Hannah writes, "I have seen some reviews of your book that strike me as being unnecessarily negative, and I'm wondering how that makes you feel or how you cope with getting negative reader reviews." And so this is actually – and Hannah, I do want to apologize to you because this is actually a question that was submitted several months ago that I've actually been saving specifically for this episode. And and for the episode that I'm doing around September 11th, I realize that it is now past September 11th. And certainly by the time most of you guys get to hear this, it, it's going to be several days after September 11th. Um, but. Nevertheless, I, I wanted to, to kind of answer this question in the context of September 11th, and you will see why in a moment. Um, but let me first say that I am I'm not a person who invests too much emotionally in reader reviews one way or the other. And let me just stress this by saying it's not that I think I'm like too cool and I only do, you know, I write the best that I can. I do it for my art. And if the public doesn't like it, then the public is stupid or they can stick it or, you know, they can go F themselves or whatever. It's it's nothing like that. I'm not too cool for school or anything like that. Um, and I guess it's also easy for me to be somewhat sanguine insofar as the I'm lucky, right? The overwhelming majority of my reader reviews have been incredibly positive, and I think that ultimately comes down to I am a sincerely cat loving person writing for a sincerely cat loving audience. And so there is a level in which we, we all understand each other's hearts. And, and so any little lapses in maybe that my word choice isn't as great as it could have been, or in some places the writing may not be as, spe- as spectacular as it could be. But we all, we all understand each other's hearts. And, and that goes, I think, a really long way. And I think, um, it is one of the reasons why that I I've been so lucky to get so much, you know, so many positive reviews from readers. Um, but of course there have been some negative ones too. That the truth of the matter is that you know I was 37 when Homer's Odyssey was first published, and and so I was not a kid by any stretch of the imagination anymore. And you know, by the time you when you, when you start creeping up on 40 you have you're always look the life is is a long series of learning things about the world and also about yourself and i feel like i know myself even better as i come up on 50 than i did when i was coming up on 40 but by the same token by the time you're in your late 30s early 40s i mean you do know yourself pretty well and so the the really positive the most lavishly praising reader reviews do not make me think any better of myself And the really negative ones, and there have been some extraordinarily negative ones, I mean, there are people out there who really think I'm a genuinely bad person, Um, do not make me think any worse of myself. I think, you know, on a goodness scale of 1 to 10, where like 1 is Hitler and 10 is Mother Teresa, I like to think I'm a solid 5.5 On a really good day, somewhere around a six, right? I'm I'm no Charlotte Maxwell Jones, but I am not the the paragon of unbridled evil that some of my (laughs) my worst detractors apparently believe me to be after reading Homer's Odyssey. So, generally speaking, uh, the point being, reviews don't really get me down so much, uh, one way or the other. When Homer's Odyssey first came out. Uh, we had like through the Amazon Vine program, there were a lot of early readers leaving reviews of the books and those I watched very closely because I wanted to get a sense of how readers were going to respond and if negative reviews were maybe going to discourage other readers from even, you know, considering the book. Um, so, so I did get a little anxious and and uptight about reviews right around the release of a book, um, Again, not to, not so much to tell me whether the book was good or bad, but whether or not readers were were enjoying it and getting out of it what I hoped. But again, most of those were pretty positive, and so the the small handful of negative ones didn't really affect me. Um, having said that, you know, and, and it's been a while, candidly, since I have really read, like, since I've gone onto the books Amazon page or Goodreads page and read reader reviews. But I, I did did so much more so in the first few months after the book was published. And I can honestly say, and and every so often, by the way, somebody will draw um, my attention to a particularly negative review someplace as somebody w- was kind enough to let me know that somebody on Goodreads had referred to me um, by a very unpleasant... N- <laughs> Word for a part of the female anatomy that begins with the C and ends with the T, and uh, see you next Tuesday. I think is is one of the cutesier ways of of indicating that word. And somebody had actually <laughs> referred called me that um, in a Goodreads review of Homer's Odyssey. So every so often, my attention is is drawn to a negative review. Um, But really the only ones that have really bothered me on any kind of personal level, that have gotten under my skin, that that have genuinely upset me, not just in a, gee, it seems like people aren't enjoying the book or or what if people – what if this negative review convinces people not to buy the book, but that have genuinely unsettled me, have been the negative reader reviews that took me to task for going back to rescue my cats or for even thinking about my cats – and the immediate aftermath of September 11th uh, on a day and at a time when so many human lives were lost. And it upsets me. It it doesn't offend me personally. It's not, you know, it it doesn't hit me on that level of of where I feel personally attacked. Um, The reason why it upsets me I guess I should back up and say, you know, as many of you know, I worked in nonprofit for a long time, and if you've read Homer's Odyssey – you know that there were various reasons why I, I left nonprofit and and finances were really one of the biggest considerations. Once I had to completely support myself and I no longer had not just my parents, but even a, a supportive soon-to-be spouse. You know, once I really had to live just on my own salary, it, it became very difficult for me to do so on on a junior level nonprofit salary. Um, But one of the other reasons was because of of a certain amount of of burnout. I can't lie. And one of the things that really burnt me out the worst about working a nonprofit, it's not the endless need. It's not the realization that no matter how many people or animals you help, you will never be able to help everyone who needs the help. It is not the certain knowledge that there are many who you will fail, who you will fail even to hear about that you will, or who you will fail in your efforts to help. There's a lot of failure that is baked in with nonprofit. Um, and and that is something that you know going in. And it was not, it was also not the indifference of the, right? I, there's always going to be people who could help you, but don't, because they don't care, because they're stingy, because they have other causes that they're supporting, Um, in fairness. But there, you know, there there's always the battle against, uh, you know, on the one hand, there are there are the problems themselves that you're trying to address, and then there are the people that could help you solve those problems, um, or could support your efforts financially, and for whatever reason are not doing so. And then, of course, there are the people in the world who actually make the world a worse place, who do bad things, who do things that hurt other people. You, if you are an animal rescue, you are not just fighting the elements and and neglect; you are also fighting animal abusers. Right? There are these people, who 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 make your job harder, who create the need for your job in the first place. And all of these things are there and they can all be, it's a, it can be emotionally exhausting work, but it was not that it was none of that, that drove me that, that drove me to a feeling of burnout in nonprofit. What really, really got to me and what still gets to me to this day are the people who themselves do nothing constructive, nothing helpful but who are full of criticism for the helpful thing that you are attempting to do, which may be the best way to go about helping, or it may not be, but is certainly better than the nothing that the person who is criticizing you is doing themselves. And I always like to say, and yet somehow in their minds, these people feel that pointing out why you are doing not doing something well enough or just doing it all wrong, in their minds, this is somehow aligns them with with the people who are actively doing good. It makes them feel like they are a good person, a helpful person, a contributing person. I always say it's it's like the cheese whiz of helpfulness. You know, it it's not actually a, a cheese, it's not actually cheese. It is a cheese like product. So these people they're not actually helpful they are they are peddling a helpfulness like product by telling you what you are doing wrong and and how you are not being helpful enough and where this all comes into September 11th is that in the immediate aftermath of September 11th there were only two things for me to do right because I am not a trained rescue worker i was certainly not physically capable of going down to ground zero and and lifting beams and and hauling people out of the wreckage the blood banks were turning people away and i myself was homeless at least at least temporarily while they were not letting anyone into the area where my apartment building was i had no home and no clothing and so i was you know as things turned out i was not permanently homeless thank god although many people were Um, as is the case with any disaster. But so there were really only two things for me to do in the immediate aftermath of September 11th. And one would have been to sit around on a friend's couch watching the news and feeling terrible. And the other thing was to go and rescue my cats. And even if for the sake of this Discussion. Let's say the cats are no, we no more important than photo albums or my favorite, you know, winter jacket or anything else in my apartment. Let Let's say for the and I I think you all know me well enough to know that that is certainly not how I feel about my cats. But let's say for the sake of this, to, to satisfy the, these these cheese whiz of helpfulness purveyors, that my cats are no more important than any other quote unquote you know quote unquote piece of property that might be in my possession. Um, the thing that's really, that really irks me is that I had something constructive to do. I was a homeless disaster survivor and I was trying to get back to my home to salvage whatever I could potentially salvage, which even if, sorry, as as an ambulance goes by in the background, even if it had accomplished nothing, again, even if my cats had not been there just me doing something to help myself remove you know makes me one less problem for somebody else who's trying to solve the problem of homeless newly homeless disaster survivors um but but this is the thing that that you know the alternatives were for me to do something i.e. go back and rescue my cats or to do nothing you know which is to to sit around and watch tv and cry and i understand that that's what most that 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 is as much as almost everybody was able to do was to watch what was happening and to cry um and it's certainly you know when there is nothing else to do except mourn then mourning is the appropriate thing to do i'm just not sure why in these people's mind doing nothing would somehow make me a better person than doing something that that's the thing that irks me is the suggestion that a truly good person would demonstrate their goodness by not doing anything. And the reason why it irks me is, and, and I'm sure you guys have figured this out about me, is I I am a, a person of action. I I am naturally pushy and and stubborn. I will be the first one to admit it. And I can be kind of a pain in the neck um, with my my uh my enthusiasm, my my energy at times, my my zealousness, but I swear to God, you got you guys, I am you know there's an expression that it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness and that has always been my philosophy 100% that in a situation it is always better to do something than nothing providing you are not getting in the way of people who are better equipped to do something than you are um you know i used to have a boss who who would say you can lead or follow or get out of the way and i think that those are all Excellent suggestions, and there is certainly a time to follow, and there's certainly a time to get out of the way. And I was not necessarily leading anybody other than myself, but yes, there was a situation in which there was some action that I could engage in that would make the situation marginally better, if only for myself and for my cats, who I understand in the grand scheme of things may not matter to the world – But again, it made all of us one less problem for somebody else who's trying to solve larger scale problems. And I I, I certainly, I I don't know what anyone would expect of a homeless disaster survivor other than that they try to return to their home to see if their home is still there and to salvage whatever can be salvaged. I think it's a very natural human inclination. Um, So many of you have written to me, I, I find it so surprising that so many of you have written to me, I mean, even just recently over the last few days, that you don't know if you would have had it within you to, to have the courage or, or the strength or, or et cetera, et cetera, to do what I did for my cats after September 11th. And please allow me to assure you that, of, of course, you would. Of course, you would. Um, you Look, some of you listening may, may have you know various um, physical or, or emotional limitations such that you are really limited in what you actually can do. But assuming a reason – and I was – again, I am no (laughs) – I am no athlete. I was no more an athlete 20 years ago than I am – I'm actually probably in better shape now after so many months on the rowing machine – you know, but, but I, I can walk and, and I can carry litter and food. And at, at times I had to stop and rest and slow down. I mean, it, it was, you know, it was not Sally Field in, in Not Without My Daughter. I mean, it was nothing quite that dramatic. And I, I have not a doubt in my mind that if what you had to do to rescue your cats in a situation like that was do a lot of walking, um, you would do it. And a- again, I'm sure at the age of 50, I would need to stop for more frequent. Rests than I did at the age of thirty, but the the point that I'm making and and the reason why I'm in, insisting on this is because this is just the thing that people do, right? If you if you ever, I mean, even recently, these these terrible floods and tornadoes in New Jersey, um, just a, a, you know less than two weeks ago, week and a half ago, that have been all over the news. One of the first things, you know, when the news cameras come to the area that has been devastated by tornadoes, they can always find plenty of people to interview who had homes that were in the area that were destroyed. And that's because when when your home is when you are driven from your home by a natural disaster, when something comes along to destroy it, pretty much the first thing you do as soon as you are able to do so is you return to see what's still standing, if anything, and and what can be salvaged. Um, again, I was very lucky that my entire building was was still standing, and and everything I had was able to be salvaged. But this is just a thing people do, and it is a, a ultimately a good thing. Again, it is always better for people to do something to to help themselves, if at all possible, so that people who are providing help for those who are truly helpless have fewer problems that they need to solve if if you can solve your own problems we should all certainly ask for help when we need it i i am not making that point um but i i don't understand the mindset of the person who feels that one demonstrates one's goodness as a human being by doing nothing when there is something to be done because i believe the exact opposite I believe that we demonstrate our goodness and our resilience and our other positive qualities by doing something when we are able. Look, no one can do everything. There are a lot of things that we are able to do that we don't do because we also have to live our lives and enjoy our lives a little bit. I, I Again, I, I am not saying that if there is any problem out there that you can solve and you're or help solve and you're not solving it or any cause you can donate money to and you're not donating money that you're a bad person – that is not at all what I'm saying. it's it's any something is better than nothing. I guess that's my point. Um and actually, we we were having dinner recently with my sister-in-law and my nephew. and uh, we were sitting at the dinner table and looking out the window. and and another woman, a a recent widow who lives in in my sister in-law's apartment complex, was trying to move some heavy boxes into her car. And my sister in-law said to my nephew, who is about twenty, um, you, you know, maybe you should go help her, see if she needs help. And he said, "Well, I mean, nobody else is is is, is out there helping her. Why should I?" And I, you know, <laughs> I, I do not make a, a habit of of scolding anybody's children, certainly children that are are not my own. Um, but I I jumped down his throat on that one with both feet. Um, With a vehemence that that caused, you know, Lawrence to to say to me, hey, take it easy. The kid's only 20 and and fair enough. I'm certainly not trying to. And he is only 20. and, And there are things that you learn over a course of a lifetime. But to me, if there is a situation in which somebody needs help and nobody else is providing that help, that is not the moment when you hang back. That is the reason for you to jump in because no one else, because the help is needed and because nobody else is doing it. And and so those bringing this all the way back around Hannah to your question, those are the reviews that bothered me the most because they just speak to a general worldview and philosophy that is so antithetical to everything that I believe in, and I genuinely believe that more damage is done in this world by people who uselessly and needlessly impede the progress of those who are trying to help with their. BS criticisms and all their nonsense than people who are actually evil and doing bad things, because there are not that many genuinely evil people out there. They have an outsized influence. They they can do, you know, a disproportionate amount of harm at times. But ultimately, there are not that many truly evil people out there, but there are certainly A whole bunch of of backseat drivers and Monday morning quarterbacks and, and any other cliche that you care to come up with for the kind of person who does nothing themselves, but has a very firm opinion on why what you did trying to help was the wrong thing to do. And the kind of person who sits at a computer screen five years after the fact, undoubtedly having watched the trauma unfold on television, criticizing me, a person who is in it, and tried to solve at least one problem, however small that problem was, that's the kind of thing that, oh, just sticks in my cry. I hate those people. I hate that kind of person. Um... So those, those Hannah, are the negative reviews. Those are the only negative reviews that that really bother me. And actually, part of the reason I stopped reading – I mean, I, I would have – looked. The, the book came out 12 years ago at a certain point. Everyone is just saying something that somebody else has said previously. Um, and, and not that it isn't lovely to hear, but – again it's you have to move on with your life you can't spend your whole life reading the reviews of of books that came out years ago you know and you have to keep moving forward and on to the next book um but i think i probably stopped reading reviews sooner than i would have ordinarily because Whereas, you know, somebody just saying, I didn't like Gwen as a person or I didn't like the way Gwen wrote or I didn't like Gwen's husband, Lawrence, or I thought Gwen seemed really pushy or stuck up or like she thought she was such a great person because she rescued a blind cat or, you know, any of those things um, didn't really bother me. But but the, the September 11th, specifically, the, those did. And it just hit on a very personal level. Yeah, just just one of those things that, that over the course of a lifetime – as I feel that I've mastered so many of the common day-to-day irritations of life, this is one that that just, uh, I, I think I realize now, as I turn 50, is just never going to leave me. This is something that is always going to bother me. Having said that, though, of course, what I, I I never forget the fact, not even for a second and not even at the moment that I'm being so irritated at some of these thoughtless and, and stupid people, is how unbelievably lucky I am to have met so many incredible people like all of you, people with with tremendous hearts, who love animals, who are ready to rally to the cause of their own animals, to the cause of other people's animals, to rescue animals um who generally who genuinely want to put some goodness out there into the world even if just a very small section of it even if it's it's just the little corner of goodness that lives in your house and and in the wonderful life that you've created for the cat or dog or cat and dog or cat and dog and and ferret and gecko and so on and so forth um that you have added to your life and that you have made such a wonderful life for just just even doing that much, just adding to the general store of goodness in the world and not detracting from the goodness that others try to do, is all by itself an incredible thing. And and you know I always say this, but I I really never the the one thing when I was writing Homer's Odyssey and you have your daydreams about all the wonderful things that might happen to you someday if the book gets published and and is and is successful and if people read it, the one thing. I never even thought to daydream about that. Has turned out to actually be the most amazing part of of the success that Homer's Odyssey has enjoyed in my book. Since then, have enjoyed is that I've uh, you know, in writing about my cat, I I didn't anticipate that it would bring me together with so many just wonderful humans, and and that absolutely includes all of you. I I just really never forget to be grateful that that for the small small handful of of idiots. (laughs) out there whose existence i've unfortunately been made aware of in publishing the book um are just so completely overwhelmed in numbers by 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 you guys. And so thank you for that. You you really do um you 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 inspire me and restore my faith in humanity every single day. I know i say this just about every episode. I don't know how seriously or sincerely you guys take that, but i really do mean it. It is the literal truth. You you inspire me and you keep me going every single day, and and I just feel so fortunate to to have found all of you. And on that pleasant and uplifting note, I'm going to say goodbye uh, for another week. Please be sure to tune in for next week's all-new episode of Crawl Up with a Cattail. Don't forget to visit my website, GwenCooper.com, G-W-E-N-C-O-O-P-E-R.com for Information on how you can get in touch with me and a place to leave comments about the podcast or questions or things you'd like me to address, a downloadable free copy of a book about Homer and lots of other good stuff. Thanks so much for joining me and I will see you all next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me. And don't forget to hug your cat today.